I'm Afshin Ratatsi, and you're watching this season's penultimate episode of Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai and the UAE. A few weeks ago, we spoke to Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hirsch about his bombshell report that the United States blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, destabilizing Europe's energy supplies and causing what may have been the single biggest methane emission event ever recorded, an environmental catastrophe. And now Hirsch, the legendary journalist known for exposing cover-ups like the U.S. Army's massacre at Milai and torture of prisoners in Abu Ghraib joins me again from Washington, D.C. with more revelations, this time reporting that the CIA was well aware that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his entourage had embezzled hundreds of millions of dollars in U.S. aid. Thank you so much, uh, Sai, for coming back on. I mean, after revealing that uh, terror attack, uh, tell me about this $400 million of U.S. public money. And, and I think uh, most American media covers the fact that uh, the American public certainly need $400 million for infrastructure. Tell me about the latest scandal, trading with the enemy. Um, well, you have to know that the budget right now, the actual money I think the, the my government has spent on that war is, uh, well, about five months ago, it was about $113 billion, and it's now up to 120 So. The $400 million figure, when you compare it to the, the great gross amount of money we spent there, is almost trivial. But uh, one of the things that really bothered me is I learned that <laughs> just two months ago, that <laughs> uh, uh, Ukraine needs a lot of diesel fuel to keep its army going, to keep its trucks going. And they use diesel, and, it's, uh, and, and they have, since the war began, they've been buying diesel from Russia, <laughs> and um, and and as they weren't supposed to, right? They weren't. They're not supposed well, to be funding the war on well, Zelensky. Is not supposed to be funding the war on Zelensky. <laughs> it's just the war. Even apparently, uh, the Chessians still uh, that war. They were buying their oil from Russia. I, I just, I, you know, it's just, you know. Uh, as they all, you know, the, the old line BS uh, walks and money talks. And the 400 million was just to figure the estimate um, that I had been told by people I've known for decades um, was, was the skim on just the oil money. Let alone, it's sort of disturbing that Ukraine's buying oil from Russia with whom at war. I mean, but we, you know. Oil and money transcends every bit of rationality, I guess. But then to discover the foreign domain isn't isn't all. I mean, you know, uh, uh, all you have to do is look look at the high life in Kiev today. There's a really good high life in Kiev. The the fancy restaurants are going. You can find liquor stores with everything in it. There's a lot of money being pushed around. And so what happened was, this would have been three months ago or so. The CIA director. Um, um, our CIA director, uh, Burns, Bill Burns, who's really a diplomat. He's never been in the CIA. He's had a great career as ambassador to some places, including Russia. By, and by, uh, actually, at which, at, at, when he finished his tour as ambassador of Russia, he wrote a memoir in which he warned against expanding NATO to the east because it'll lead the war. But that's not what he likes to talk which about Which makes now. it even more weird that he okayed the Nord Stream uh, Pipeline disaster from your previous article. Well, he was the middle. Well, he was he was uh, given. I think the only job, major job, left when a Biden want got in. And by what happened is Burns retired from the Foreign Service. He was Deputy Secretary of State and a quite reasonable guy. Went to the Carnegie Foundation as president, 
And then when Biden got in, the question is, what job would he have? He wanted a job in foreign policy. These are, you know, this is the way it works in Washington. These are professional um, government officials. You know, once you're in, there's always going to be a job for you. And the only job, big job that was left was CIA. And he took it, I, I would guess, thinking that maybe uh, if there's a second term, um, uh, Tony Blinken will re retire or something. I have no idea why he took it. But he did. He was the middleman when the um, uh, when the uh, CIA and other agencies ran a covert operation to destroy the pipeline. Well, he comes fact, off better, in fairness, in the in this piece about uh, alleged corruption of the Zelensky uh, administration in Kiev, because you say that uh, your sources are telling you he has had words with Zelensky, and I should say, Zelensky denies all corruption. He was named in the Panama Papers. But according to you, you're saying that Zelensky um, uh, was told off by Bill Burns about all his Zelensky's officials riding around in Kiev in new Mercedes Benzes and the like. The actual message, as I understood it, and uh, he was not alone on the trip. So the actual message that is there are other people from the community with them, intelligence community. The actual message to Zelensky was uh, the, gen the bureaucrats and the generals are getting very angry at you because you're taking too much of the, of the scam. You know, you're taking a bigger cut. <laughs> and he was given a list of 35 people that were involved in, um, in uh, corrupt activities. Zelensky did f fire 10 people on the list, some generals and officers and some civilian bureaucrats. Most of the agencies in the government that normally do contracting work, normally do directly with a, a, a normally you, you do a contract with somebody supplying toilet paper, you'll contract the paper company. Everybody's gone to brokers. Everybody's now getting third parties involved because that increases the chance for money on the side. And the corruption there is just beyond belief. It always has been, and that doesn't change. And so that's all I was writing about, but you know, uh, like a lot of the stuff I write about, you know, they keep on saying unnamed sources as if, you know, in all those years I was at the New York Times winning a lot of prizes for my work then, you know, back in the 70s and Watergate and stuff like that, and Vietnam. How could you possibly name sources? You'd put, put people in jail. But you know that. You know, you and I, we've been talking for years. We know that. Uh, the, you know how the game is. We never reveal our sources. As, as, uh, as you said, Zelensky did fire people. I don't know whether that was just to make it look good or whether that was because Bill Burns was telling him. Was it Bill Burns that told him to he do fired, something? He fired 10, 10 of those who were the most ostentatious, living, you know, in Kiev, living well in the best department and showing a lot of money. And you know, new cars, and he fired those who were ostentatious was the word, and another 25 just were left untouched. Look, it's uh, why be shocked? It's Ukraine's always been at the bottom of the list or the top of the list in terms of corruption. Yeah, I, I think you know? everyone's shocked in the uh, mainstream media community because uh, the Zelensky is a hero, and it was bipartisan in <laughs> bipartisan in Congress to send so many billions of uh, dollars worth of public money when, uh, when your inner cities are, are, are crumbling, clearly. And perhaps it's the journalists in Kiev drinking the wine, who knows? Because, so what you're saying is Zelensky is buying, is fueling the war on Ukraine by buying Russian oil on the black market. Russia, Russian deep, 
diesel. And Russia is obviously funding uh, Ukraine because with Nord Stream gone, it has to pay transit fees for uh, gas and going through Ukraine. No, actually, um, that's part of it. There are, you know, there's the price of diesel, but there is still a gas line that was, uh, it was operational, I think, in the 60s, a long time ago, from um, Russia through Ukraine uh, into uh, uh, some of the countries um, that, in, in Western Europe, old Warsaw Bloc countries, you know, the old member of the Warsaw Bloc that existed as, as in opposition to our NATO, I guess, or sure. whatever it was. And they have to pay and, the and transit fee. Russia pays, even to every, every gift, Russia continues to pay a transit fee for that pipeline. And oil does flow, but it doesn't go to Ukraine. It goes through Ukraine. And, but, and there's always been incredible complaints over the years I mean, for decades, about Ukraine plugging into it illegally and siphoning some of the oil out. But that was before the war. It's just, look, I don't know. I should be giggling about it because it's it's really quite a crazy situation. And as you know, the, 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 the United States is, from the Kennedy days on, there's all sorts of speeches and talks and concern about the fact that we viewed the fact that Russia has so much oil, so much and so much uh, underpriced oil for years, so much very clean uh, methane gas, and they've been selling it, particularly one uh, uh, to Europe, at, at one low prices. A lot of uh, keeps everybody warm and happy, and the business is flowing. And we always viewed that as a weapon, Russia weaponizing its oil. Okay, because, well, let's. You know, we. I think we we did talk about it on on the uh, Nord Stream episode. Uh, people can look at it on Rumble, but also in your article, you're talking about weapons, real weapons, and uh, actually, there was an American WBAI host, Randy Credico, was in Dubai in transit from Donetsk. He wondered why a comedian was in Donetsk rather than U.S. journalists covering the war, and he saw with his own eyes the kind of. Uh, uh, killing that was been going on with uh, U.S. HIMARS and so on. Uh, I understand that uh, exports of arms from Ukraine are, uh, are gaining uh, traction here. They, they're not just killing uh, people in Europe. Tell me about this booming weapons export market. Well, I've not written about it, but I've obviously heard, you know, I don't, I don't know whether they call it the dark market or the black market. Very early, Poland, Romania, other countries on the border uh, were being flooded with weapons we were shipping uh, for the war uh, to Ukraine. In other words, uh, commanders of various, you know, I don't, I don't know what level. Uh, often it wasn't generals, it was colonels and others who were given a shipment of some weapons would uh, personally uh, resell them or retail them back into the black, the dark market. And including they were um, the, the concern when I there was a lot of concern. This was months after the war began last February. Uh, they included these handheld um, uh, uh, missile guns, uh, missiles that could shoot down an airplane, you know, at, at, at a considerable height. And so there was a lot of concern about that. But that and one at one time about six months ago, maybe more, CBS wrote a story about it that they were forced to retract. They published CS uh, television, put on the air a show about the arms. Forced market. to retract. Is it mistakes? No, they just, <laughs> they were just, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's, we're, we're, we're on the side of Ukraine. We all hate Russia. And, you know, and um, Biden hates Russia. And 
and he hates China. And uh, Tony uh, uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State, and Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, and Victoria Newland, uh, Blinken, I call them Winken, Blinken, and Nod, they're all unified in their public distaste and, and contempt for Russia, all things Russian, and the same for China. I hear that Biden's in the process of, you know, going to uh, try and discourage certain sales of um, of goods from China to the United States. He's going to bar some. He's going to sanction those. We're, I, I just don't understand where this uh, immense outpouring of hate comes. Um, yes, Putin did a terrible thing uh, by starting a war, and that's going to be on him forever. You know, he actually started one when he didn't have to. Uh, uh, he's not convinced me he did not have to. Um, um, I, I don't. I, I think you could have negotiated something. But you're going to get We're that interview. You're going to get that interview with Putin clearly, and of course he, and the oh, Russian no, side say I'm, the war started way before. I, mean, I, I, I read his. I read his interviews. They're quite interesting, aren't they? That's his argument. I mean, that's, you know, and we remember in 2007 at one of those international conferences that seemed so horrible. He actually publicly said, "I'm. Uh, why don't you take me in the NATO?" I'm in Europe. <laughs> so uh, um, I, that, as I say, you can't excuse what Russia did. They started the first, the bloodiest war in, in, in Western Europe since World War II. You know, I you don't know, you call, you Yugoslavia to... was, was pretty bad. Cy Hirsch, I'll stop you there. More from the Pulitzer Prize winning legendary journalist after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Pulitzer Prize-winning legendary journalist Seymour Hersh. I want to get on to... I mean, I should just also say, uh, there's no... You mentioned Blinken. There's no sign yet of any element of corruption at that level. This is geostrategic as far as, far as Blinken. Oh, no, there's no... He's a West Exec consultant. He's a capital partner, hedge funder or equity company. There's nothing about that. There's, this is, this no, is no, their no, grand no. visions. That's, but that's never been an issue. I mean, he's... He's a, he's look. He's a perfectly. He's been. He's a great public servant. He is now the Secretary of State. But um, he's been Biden's number one man, as as he rolled through Congress. When he was he was with Biden when he was on the Judiciary Committee. He's with Biden when he was on various other committees. He's not a. He's never served as an ambassador. Never served in the State Department. He's you know over his skis as Secretary of State because uh, he thinks he can bully people. And, and Jake Sullivan's biggest claim to fame was he was Hillary's lawyer when she was in, there were, during a lot of investigations, including the Gmail. Um, and he also um, ended up working at Brookings with um, Strobe Talbot, who, when he was deputy secretary of state in the Clinton administration, was the major pusher for expanding NATO to the east. That was that was actually when the Chinese embassy was bombed in Yugoslavia, when Strobe right. Talbot was talking. See, do you remember that? You Absolutely. also mentioned, though, the 82nd Airborne is training in Poland. What what are they doing? Why would the 82nd Airborne and be training? The 101st is in... Is who in, are they, is, first uh, Who is the 82nd Airborne? Romania. Who is the 82nd Airborne, and why should we well, be the interested The 82nd Airborne in is training? one of the elite units of the Army. It's a brigade, which is composed of five companies, which is maybe 7,500 men. And last year, we also brought uh, the 101st Infantry Airborne, another elite unit. Another brigade, five companies or four companies and add on companies, probably with backup forces. We've got 20,000 American soldiers exercising, doing training missions. 
Um, maybe in Poland, it's 60 miles from the border with Ukraine. Um, you, Romania, it's a little farther, but they're still easy. Easy, uh, easy. I mean, what, what easy are they to... doing? I mean, what do they think they're going to be doing? Well, I don't know, but that's what I asked in my story. And, you know, and the, the story you're talking about, which ran a couple of weeks ago, that's what I asked. I asked, what the hell, what are they there for? What's the plan? If the war goes bad, does Joe's, if Joe's willing to buy, blow up a pipeline and keep um, his best ally, one of our good allies in NATO, Germany, uh, uh, cold and a little bankrupt, you know, it's not. You know, it's it's going to be cost a lot of money to replace the uh, the the uh, cheap gas he was getting out of Nord Stream Two. He was going to get, um, and um, um, so he, he got rid of that. What would he do if the war? Um, you know, this all this talk about an offensive. I, I think it's been going on. But what, what would what would he do if it suddenly did turn bad? As uh, I will tell you, most of the people I know think it has. I uh, think that's just a question of what Putin wants to do when. But, you know, that's not what you're seeing uh, in, in in the Western papers. And it's, by the way, uh, all of these re intelligence re reports that have come out in the last week, um, um, some are very interesting, but in general, uh, we all know that it, the old cliche about intelligence to please, you know, they're taking a rosy picture, some of the numbers in it. But... Um, Again, they're documents, and so the you know they get tremendous attention um, because well, I, well, it wasn't the attention to the content of the leaks from the Pentagon uh, that got the attention. It was it was trying to get the man, wasn't it? Were you surprised? I mean, you've opened your whole your whole life has been dependent on the First Amendment and the, maybe the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. What did what did it make you feel when uh, they weren't talking about as you're saying? The Pentagon leaks about rosy pictures of counteroffenses by the Ukrainians. They were talking about how, your paper, the New York Times, was talking about how to how they helped the FBI to apprehend Jack Texera, Texera, this 21-year-old National Guardsman. Um, don't get me going on the press. There's, there's a no. The press is a no-win situation for me. Look, I worked for years at the uh, New York Times. And um, as I'm sure everybody at the paper knows, and won a lot of prizes. And one of the most important stories I wrote about the CIA spying on American citizens had nobody named in it. And so, you know, the notion now, so there's always this, the, uh, it's, it's, I'm certainly an outsider now. I'm publishing on a, on a Substack, which is a, uh, I'm self-publishing in essence, but I will tell you for sure, I have retained a terrific editor, somebody I work with at the London Review of Books, and uh, one of the I should say the London Review of Books has gone pro-Ukraine. By the way, I just read the latest issue. But yeah, what I, I was trying to what well, I was trying to get at there was this is worse than when I last spoke to you a few weeks back because last time you were criticizing your old paper, the New York Times. Now it's not so much the New York Times not uh, uh, printing important news of interest in the public interest about what's happening in Europe and who knows where else. They're actually crowing about aiding the FBI in capturing alleged whistleblowers. That's a new one, isn't it? And let me make it broader than the New York Times, because um, there's you can't win an argument um, with the, you know, I've just, I don't want to get into an argument, but I sometimes do. Um, but, but Trump terrified the press that he won after all the mocking they did. And they're terrified again. And I, I will tell you, there's a lot of people very worried that we might end up with a Biden-Trump um, uh, uh, ticket in 2024. And that, um, and so, 
Um, the Times' response to to Trump and uh, all the all the horrors, the January sixth uh, invasion of the Capitol, has there been? I think to make a very distinct commitment to being pro Biden. There's very little criticism of Biden. None of the stories I've written about Biden. Um, none of the allegations are more than allegations with a lot of specifics. Look, I know much more than I've said about what how that mission took place. Uh, in uh, based, it was based in Norway, what we were doing. Uh, and so none of them have followed the story in any way, except the right counter stories given by the intelligence community. So the fact that the it, it's a, it does wash two ways. Uh, you know, you cannot be shocked that the Times would be as good citizen turning to the FBI to the, the <laughs> of course I am, but you can't be. See, there you go. You're going to make me get self-serving, but uh, the sources you want are people that are motivated. And ever since I did the My Lai Massacre story, which made a lot of people in the military who suffered through Vietnam um, and the horrors there and kept their mouth shut because they wanted to get that next star or that next promotion. And they knew talking about it. So I was an expiator for them. And so the people that I talk to take the oath of office, they have to take it every year in the military. Anyway, I think in State Department too, they don't take it to their boss or the colonel or the general or to the president. They take it to the constitution. And those are the people I have, I know, and many, many more than you might think who I talk to because um, when they see something wrong, even though their job may be online, if I, if I screw up and somehow do get them nailed, in the story I write, but they talk to me. And the Times, you know, I don't think when I worked there, they had those kind of sources. I mean, I, I know that because they relied on me for certain things. You and were the guy. You were the person. We're coming, well, we're coming to the end, unfortunately. The but... spokesman. Well, I noticed that the spokesman, a pretty, you know, uh, John, uh, uh, one star admiral named John Kirby, who I used to know when he was a junior officer as a, in, the, as in the press office for the Secretary of Defense when I was working at the New Yorker and writing about no WMD and all that stuff, uh, the Cheney Bush stuff, uh, much critical stuff. Uh, he was then involved. Now he has emerged as the fellow who uh, backs up the uh, when when there's a critical issue. He backs up the uh, the uh, the, pr the president's uh, press aide, a young woman. He's always there to answer questions, and he goes on the Sunday talk shows. We're talking about a press guy now being going on the talk shows that used to be the domain of the secretary of the state or the national security advisor. You don't see much of those guys anymore right now. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the pipeline story. I don't know if it's ever going to come out because this government will never investigate it, uh, at least in an honest way. Well, the, U the, the UN the won't either, despite uh, Russia and China and, and Brazil wanting uh, to, and you're intimating there the anger, actually in the latest piece, you seem to be intimating there is an anger at certain levels there. But did it at least vindicate you a little that whilst you were being character assassinated and not covered with the sin of omission the mainstream media did, do you think it was because of your article that Olaf Scholz would not get, take questions when he visited Biden uh, last month? I mean, why? People were saying, well, why didn't he? I mean, presumably, even the so-called mainstream media had your article on their, their mind. And, uh, and now the Washington Post has conceded that European investigators don't believe the, uh, the Bellingcat. I mean, this is some uh, cut-out yeah. uh, organization. It's slowly, you're getting traction, are you? I mean, do you think that's why Chancellor Schultz was not allowed? I mean, normally, you'd have him and Biden doing questions when they, when they do the photo. I, I, you know, I, it doesn't matter what I think because I don't know the answer. 
I do know that the community, the intelligence community is, is, is feels, I, I shouldn't, that's a big statement. There's, there are people there who do analysis and write complicated report, complicated foreign policy studies, et cetera. You know, it's an intellectual game. Um, and they feel isolated, many of them feel isolated because there's no sign that the White House is terribly interested in um, um, uh, long-term, what we call national intelligence estimates. Uh, and they certainly don't want one on the pipeline. And so there's a there's a disconnect, I think, between um, some elements of the of the of the uh, the of the uh, of the uh, the community and and the White House. I don't think I don't I I don't think they see Biden as an avid uh, reader of their work or desire desiring to have it. Um, 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 that's that's what I understand. Uh, but a lot of presidents, you know, uh, uh, when. Ronald Reagan was president. The CIA every day gives something called the, the President's Daily Beef. It's called the PDP. And guys in the CIA stay up till three, four in the morning to promulgate using a three or page thing for the president and a few senior people, his the vice president, secretary of state, et cetera, sec def. Not too many people. It's a, a very hot document. And at some point, it was, it was understood that Reagan wasn't reading it. And so... Colin Powell, who's long gone, I can tell the story now, figured out the way to do it. He would, he would tape it, go on to video. He would read it in a, in a video and then plug the video in for Reagan to watch. And that's how they got him to read the DPDP. That's, that's Hollywood. I, I I've got to say, we, we don't have time to, to look at the latest uh, uh, piece, which is, uh, which is Guantanamo. And I know this is uh, watched this program in Guantanamo, in the TV room, apparently. Uh, but I guess people should, I don't know if you have any very quick message to the people in Guantanamo who will be watching this in the uh, U.S. prison camp, because your latest one is about well, no many. due process. Well, the only point I made is that um, the Constitution of the United States is very clear on something called due process. And if you're in a jail in America, you don't have to be a citizen to get due process, and you don't have to have been captured somewhere outside of America or American sovereign territory. Due process is in the Constitution, and none of the courts that have adjudicated the very, it's been legal issues galore, and the courts have done something since forcing, back in the Bush-Cheney days, of forcing the White House to, uh, uh, at least the, the government, to give some rights to them. But none, the, no court has ever said the one thing that nobody once said, which is the prisoners have absolute right to due process. The way the court, there was a case decided a couple of weeks ago that sort of blew my mind. It was some guy who was released, you know, he'd, he'd been in for 22, 20 years, gone to the torture prisons that we had back in the early days, got to Guantanamo, no evidence at all convicting him, linking him to anything. Finally, two years ago, he was released. He was said, you're free to go, um, but uh, uh, you have to go to a safe country. Well, he was from Yemen and he wanted to go back there. And so the establishment, whether it was the 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 state, it was the people, the, I guess the military running the prisons there, the establishment said it's not safe, so you can't go there. So he's been. <laughs> well, he's people, been people can read. People can read Wait. on your Substack about Abdul Salam Al. Uh, All right, you, want, you got you got to go on. I know you got to go. You know, I didn't shave for you because I, you 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 always give me grief as much as I give you. Sayash, oh, you, know you gave no grief. Sayash, thank you. That's Goodbye. it for the show.
That's it for the show. We'll be back on Saturday for the final show of this season with John Perkins, alleged World Bank and IMF economic hitman to talk about which world leaders are on Washington's assassination list. Meanwhile, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.